This is a Reconstructionist Radio production. For more books from Gary North that are free and downloadable on PDF format, please visit GaryNorth.com slash freebooks. The title of this book is Millennialism and Social Theory, published by Institute for Christian Economics, copyright Gary North, 1990. Chapter 1, Eschatology and the Millennium. What is the future of the idea of progress? Any logical answer must be that the idea has no future whatever if we assume the indefinite, prolonged continuation of the kind of culture that has become almost universal in the West in the late 20th century. If the roots are dying, as they would appear to be at the present time, how can there be shrub and foliage? But is this contemporary Western culture likely to continue for long? The answer, it seems to me, must be in the negative, if we take any stock in the lessons of the human past. Never in history have periods of culture such as our own lasted for very long. They are destroyed by all the forces which constitute their essence. Robert Nisbet, 1980 Nisbet's words serve as both a warning and a prophecy, although he has never been a big fan of secular prophets. He has too much faith in the unforeseen and unforeseeable events of history to take seriously the doctrine of historical inevitability. But he believes that the West is today facing a major crisis, and at the heart of this crisis is modern secular man's loss of faith in historical progress. The idea of progress has been at the heart of Western civilization, he believes, from the Greeks, a controversial assertion, to the present. Now this ancient faith is waning. The question is, will it continue to wane? Where there is, a, where there is an if, there can be no inevitability. If this loss of faith continues, it will have terrible consequences for Western civilization. He does not believe that this loss of faith will continue, assuming that Western civilization survives. But if it does persist, Western civilization as we know it today will not survive. I think he is incorrect about the Greeks' commitment to the idea of historical progress, as I have explained elsewhere. He is eminently correct with respect to the post-Reformation West. The fundamental ideas undergirding a doctrine of historical progress are these. 1. A sovereign predestinating agent who, or impersonal force that, guarantees the linearity of history, anti-cyclicalism. 2. Cultural and social authority based on a representative's publicly acknowledged legitimacy, which in turn is derived from his or their access to 3 the wisdom revealed by the sovereign agent or force, meaning detailed knowledge of permanent standards of evaluation. Progress compared to what? 4. Culture-wide cause-and-effect relationships, challenge and successful response. And 5. Compound growth over long periods of time, technical knowledge, tools, and the division of labor. If any one of these five premises is abandoned, the entire system collapses theoretically and will therefore eventually collapse historically. Today, all linear history, all except linear history, are being called into question. In short, point one, historical linearity, does not necessarily imply historical progress. There can be linearity toward downward into the void. Modern physical science, for example, points directly to such a decline. It is not a controversial observation to say that the origin of the idea of progress in history was uniquely biblical. This Christian concept was stolen and then secularized by Enlightenment thinkers in the 17th and 18th centuries. They proclaimed another transcendental sovereign 
or sovereigns, besides the biblical God, to guarantee the linearity of mankind's history. They identified new enlightened representatives to replace the officers of existing churches and states. They found new law orders and new sanctions in history, but most of them retained deep faith in historical continuity, the compound growth of mankind's knowledge and his tools of dominion. What must be clearly understood is that the Enlightenment's idea of progress, like the Christian doctrine, involves far more than faith in the linearity of history. Basic to the Christian idea of progress is not simply the idea of linear history, Augustinianism, point one, but also the idea of a coming earthly millennium that is the product of actions in history, human actions coupled with God's sanctions in history. Without a very specific form of millennialism, namely covenantal post-millennialism, there can be no consistent Christian idea of historical progress. What I hope to demonstrate in this book is that there are conflicting views of Christianity's millennial faith, and they produce rival views regarding progress. They also produce rival approaches to the question of social theory. The generally preferred approach is no approach at all. General Eschatology This book is an introductory study of the relationships among three ideas, millennialism, God's sanction in history, and social theory. Everyone knows what sanctions are, rewards and punishments, but prior to about 1950, comparatively few secular scholars would have known what millennialism is, let alone how central it has been to the thinking of various late medieval sects and Protestant Christianity since the end of the 16th century, especially American Protestant evangelicals in the 20th century. One group that immediately acknowledged and praised this early European connection was the communist movement. Slowly but surely, humanist scholars have begun to understand millennialism's importance. They have begun to document the fact that there have been significant relationships in Western history between millennial speculation and social change. They are far more aware of these historical events than most Christians are. Millennialism is a subset of eschatology. Eschatology is defined as the doctrine of last things. It generally refers to the individual's death and final judgment, heaven and hell. It also deals with corporate final judgment at the end of time. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Matthew twenty-five thirty-one to 34 The warning is clear. There are no second chances ahead. There is no system of reincarnation or karma. Quote, and it is as it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this the judgment. Hebrews 9.27 there is also no nothing ahead, no soul sleep or annihilation. Christianity preaches the fire next time. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. 
and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Revelation 20, verses 11 to 15. The eschatological questions of death, final judgment, and eternity have been generally agreed upon throughout church history. The familiar creeds, East and West, mention some version of these phrases, quote, from whence he will come to judge the living, quick, and the dead, end quote, and, quote, the resurrection of the dead and the life everlasting, end quote. In this sense, general eschatology does not serve as a major differentiating factor in church history. Millennialism does. Millennialism defined. It is this narrower eschatological topic that has received increased interest by historians. It has also become the focus of interest for modern evangelicals. Eschatology proper, death, final judgment, and eternity, is of less interest to secular scholars than millennialism is. It is also of little interest to evangelicals today since they assume that their personal eternity is secured. The hot topic today is millennialism, not the far hotter and more permanent topic of the lake of fire. There are three basic views of a millennial era of blessings, premillennialism, amillennialism, and postmillennialism. The premillennial dispensational view is sometimes considered a fourth view. They are three completely irreconcilable viewpoints. Nevertheless, they overlap in curious ways. Premillennialism The premillennial view teaches that Jesus Christ will return to earth in history to set up a visible kingdom that will last 1,000 years. Then will come the final judgment. This is a literal interpretation of the prophecy in Revelation 20. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled, and after that he must be loosed a little season. Revelation 20, 1-3 Premillennialism has had a checkered history. It has been called Kiliasm, from the plural of the Greek word for thousand, Kilia. Many people in the early church held this position, but Augustine rejected it. So did the major Protestant reformers. Most evangelicals today are premillennialists. A variant of premillennialism, called dispensationalism, is dominant in modern fundamentalism, and has been since the late 19th century. This viewpoint was first developed sometime around 1830. It focuses its attention today on a coming great tribulation for the state of Israel, which will begin seven years before Christ returns to set up his earthly millennial kingdom. Most dispensationalists are pre-tribulational. This pre-tribulational eschatology teaches that Christians will be raptured, secretly, out of the world to heaven seven years before Jesus returns to establish the visible kingdom on earth. As soon as the church is gone, the seven years of the great tribulation for Israel will begin. There are also mid-tribulational and post-tribulational dispensationalists, but their numbers have always been few. The main eschatological hope of most dispensationalists has been the coming rapture, caught up, when Christians will be removed bodily from the growing crises of history. They believe that Christians will be spared the miseries of Armageddon. Christians who live until the rapture will get out of life alive. Amillennialism Amillennialism is commonly believed to have been the dominant millennial viewpoint in Western Christendom since the beginning of the Middle Ages. 
It interprets the prophesied 1,000 years of Revelation 20 as symbolic of the whole Christian era. The millennial kingdom of God is spiritual, yet not entirely spiritual, for it includes Christian families and Orthodox churches. It will never attain dominance in cultural or political matters, however. The city of man and the city of God are always distinct. There will be no meaningful progress in history except for ecclesiastical progress. This limited form of progress will not be accompanied by a widespread acceptance of the gospel. There will, if anything, be an increasing rejection of the gospel over time. There will at best be improvement in Christian creeds, church order, and family government. This view is held by Roman Catholics, Lutherans, and modern continental Dutch Calvinists on both sides of the Atlantic. Both Augustine and Calvin have reputations as having been amillennialists. That Augustine was basically postmillennial in his perspective was not clear to those who followed him, nor to modern historians. The influence of his less millennially focused City of God has been so overwhelming that his earlier writings, especially his six volumes of commentaries on the Psalms, have been neglected. It is in his exposition of Psalm 110 that we see his vision of world dominion by Christians. His less precise, more symbolic references to time and eschatology in City of God prevailed in Western Christianity throughout the medieval period. Calvin's writings suffer from a similar ambiguity. There are both postmillennial and amillennial passages in his writings, but the influence of the Institutes of the Christian Religion, which is comprehensive but less detailed on matters of eschatology, has led even the Calvinists to neglect his Bible commentaries and other theological works in which his historic optimism is readily apparent. Postmillennialism Postmillennialism has features of both premillennialism and amillennialism. It shares with amillennialism a commitment to historical continuity. Both views insist that Jesus will not return to earth physically to establish a millennial kingdom. It shares with premillennialism a commitment to the earthly fulfillment of many of the Old Testament's kingdom prophecies. Postmillennialism's hermeneutic, hermeneutic principles of biblical interpretation is neither exclusively literalistic nor exclusively symbolic. For that matter, this is also true of dispensationalism's hermeneutic. It only appears to be literalistic. Postmillennialism had its greatest historical impact from the early Puritan era through the North American religious revival known as the Great First Great Awakening, 1735 to 55. It dominated conservative American Presbyterian theology, North and South, during the 19th century. It faded in popularity during the First World War. It has begun to revive within Calvinist circles since the early 1970s as a result of the U.S.-based Christian Reconstruction Movement, Social Neo-Puritanism, and the British-based Banner of Truth publishing organization, Pietistic Neo-Puritanism. It is presently gaining a toehold in American charismatic circles, primarily as a result of David Chilton's Paradise Restored. Like amillennialists, postmillennialists interpret symbolically the 1,000 years of Satan's bondage, with millennial referring to the entire era between the ascension of the resurrected Christ to heaven and the final judgment. Yet, like the premillennialists, some, though not all, postmillennialists also take the 1,000 years literally, a unique era of spiritual and cultural blessings within the overall millennial era, blessings which God will grant because of massive worldwide conversions to faith in Christ as Savior and Lord. The basic postmillennial point is this. 
There will be a long era of earthly millennial blessings in the future. Jesus will return bodily to judge the world post-millennially, after the era of millennial blessings is over. A key passage for post-millennialism is Paul's citation of Psalm 110. 10. Psalm 110 reads, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand, until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Psalm 110, 1-2 Paul writes, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ's at his coming. Then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. 1 Corinthians 15, 22-26 Postmillennialism is divided into two camps pietistic postmillennialists and covenantal postmillennialists. The former view is the postmillennialism of Augustine, Jonathan Edwards, 18th and 19th century revivalism, and late 19th century American Presbyterianism. It is not tied to a specific view of law and society. Covenantal postmillennialism is the postmillennialism of the New England Puritans and the modern Christian Reconstruction movement. It defends the continuing authority of biblical law and its cultural and civil sanctions. It sees the expansion of God's kingdom in history as an outworking of widespread conversions to saving faith in Jesus Christ, coupled with an extension of the Old Testament civil case laws. It proclaims a kingdom established by God in history, but judicially and representatively, through saving faith. The Millennium Discontinuity Millennialism for contemporary evangelical Christians is a topic of great personal interest, but of little social interest. In fact, the more seriously the two ecclesiastically dominant forms of millennialism are taken, the less seriously both social theory and social activism are taken. This is the thesis of this book. Premillennialism The dispensational premillennial Christian, living, as Timothy Weber has put it, in the shadow of the second coming, is able to persuade himself that he is not necessarily going to die. He could soon be raptured to heaven, and surely will be raptured before Armageddon occurs, according to Scripture. Thus, the closer Armageddon appears to draw near, the more certain is the imminence of the Christian's blessed hope, the rapture. The worse the newspaper headlines, the brighter the outlook of the dispensationalist. Bad news means that Jesus must be coming soon. The escape hatch from history looms. The dispensationalist is convinced that escalating social problems are signs of the approaching conflagration, so they will soon no longer be his problems. The more complex and seemingly unsolvable the problems are, the less interest the dispensational premillennial Christian has in solving them. A world of unsolvable problems is a world that is clearly speeding to the day of release for Christians, the secret rapture into the world beyond the clouds. The blessed hope for premillennial Christians is their personal ability to escape the cyclical reality of the old slogan, the cynical reality of the old slogan, nobody gets out of life alive. They also want to overcome the other dilemma. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Premillennial pre-tribulational dispensationalism's doctrine of the any-moment rapture, the church's literal lifting up to heaven, 
an event which has no in intervening Bible prophecies remaining to be fulfilled, and historic premillennialism's doctrine of the second coming of Christ to set up his earthly kingdom immediately, without a subsequent seven-year great tribulation on earth, are both manifestations of a psychological quest to escape the universal negative sanction of physical death. But more than this, they are both manifestations of a desire to escape personal and corporate responsibility in an increasingly complex and threatening world. Amillennialism Amillennial Christians share the same motivation. They too teach a version of the doctrine of the any-moment second coming of Christ. No prophecy remains to be fulfilled between this moment and the Church's cosmic deliverance. Unlike the premillennialists, amillennialists believe that there will be no millennial era of blessings, earthly blessings. Christ will come at the final judgment, but there is no fundamental difference between them with respect to the cosmic discontinuous nature of their hope for deliverance. Amillennial Christians hope and pray that history will end soon, and in the meantime, they, like their dispensational brethren, remain inside what are effectively psychological and institutional ghettos. As residences, as residents of psychological and institutional ghettos, few American evangelical Christians have any self-conscious interest in social theory, although they almost intuitively adopt certain traditional views about society. They have adopted what is sometimes called the American civil religion. It is based on concepts of natural law and political pluralism. This civil religion is self-consciously neutral with respect to specific religious confessions. No one is asked to believe in God in order to participate in politics, or even to swear in a court of law. This traditional social outlook is strongly reinforced by the prevailing views of the millennium. American Christians' very lack of interest in social theory, like the views of society which they almost intuitively hold, is a direct result of the exegetically opposed yet socially similar eschatologies that they hold dear, premillennialism and amillennialism. Both views lead to a denial of the possibility, or at least the relevance, of social theory. The Millennium, Continuity The acceptance of the general Christian eschatological view regarding death and resurrection has consequences for one's view of time, linear rather than cyclical. This has been evident throughout Western history. But eschatology is more than personal death and resurrection. It also raises the question of progress. This is especially true of the doctrine of the earthly millennium. This has become a major dividing issue among Christians. It literally defines some Christian groups. Their members see their life's work in terms of a millennial theory. Amillennialism In the West, speculation regarding the earthly millennium was for centuries considered controversial and unproductive. Ever since Augustine switched from premillennialism to a non-apocalyptic view of the future, the Church, both East and West, has tended to downplay millennial speculation. Such speculation has long been seen by the Roman Church as leading to mischievous consequences, especially the phenomenon that is usually derided as enthusiasm, meaning emotionalism, the creation of new independent sects, and even social revolution. This opinion has been shared by Lutherans, Anglicans, and other churches. Because of this official ecclesiastical and academic hostility to millennial speculation, people in the pews have historically been more concerned about the personal and eternal side of eschatology and less interested in the various institutional and judicial continuities that relate today's events and historical processes 
to a future millennium and then to the end of time. Heaven rather than history has been the focus of concern. Personal ethics rather than social ethics has been regarded as primary. Liturgy has been regarded as vastly more important than social action. How one prays in public has been regarded as more important than how or where one works. Postmillennialism. The postmillennialist sees the history of the Church as a progressive, continuous application of the Great Commission and its cultural implications. It views evangelism as more than the mere sharing of the message of personal salvation. It sees history as the progressive discipling of humanity. It teaches that Jesus Christ gave his church a corporate assignment in history, the Great Commission. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you alway, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Matthew 28:18-20. If this international discipling of the nations must be completed prior to the second coming of Christ, a denial of the any-moment second coming, then this raises an inevitable question. What is the specific nature of the work that has been assigned to the saints of God, to the saints by God? Second, is this task exclusively one of soul-saving, or is it also to become culture-transforming? If the answer to the second question is the latter, as this book argues that it is, this raises a number of specific problems for philosophers, strategists, and leaders in the church, such as, what kind of social order is explicitly Christian? What personal and institutional efforts are legitimate in achieving these ends? How comprehensive is the lawful authority of the institutional church in pursuing its goals? Theologians have seldom devoted much time or energy to answering these questions. From time to time, however, Western society has been swept by great waves of new eschatological speculation about the necessary earthly preparations for the coming millennium, and these periods have been noted by the uprooting of existing conventions and institutions. The idea of progress. The question of continuity between the present and a future earthly millennium inevitably raises the question of historical progress. Is there meaningful progress in history? No one living in the modern world denies some kind of progress unless he has adopted some version of Hinduism's doctrine of Maya, the illusion of material reality. Very few of us want to return to a pre-industrial world without the basic amenities of civilization. Anesthetics, electricity, telecommunications, air conditioning, and rapid transportation. But is technological economic progress really meaningful? Do scientific inventions change the nature of man? Does per capita economic growth change the fundamental questions of death, judgment, and eternity? Christians know the answer, no. So, when pressed regarding the reality of historical progress, most Christians return to the broader issue of eschatology and away from the millennium. They will explain their denial of historical progress by an appeal to the unchanging issues of general eschatology. But this shift from narrow millennialism to general eschatology is deceptive. In reality, they still cling to a particular view of the second coming of Christ. Most Christians presume the absence of spiritual and therefore meaningful progress in history, because most Christians have a discontinuous view of the second coming of Christ. This victorious, visible coming from on high 
supposedly will not be influenced by the prior success of Christians in applying God's law to historical circumstances. Premillennialists and amillennialists deny that there will be this kind of cultural success prior to Christ's second coming, either at the beginning of the millennium, premillennialism, or at the end of history, amillennialism. They will admit to ecclesiastical progress, ask Christians if there has been progress in revising the creeds, and they will say yes, unless they are either Greek Orthodox who deny the legitimacy of post-medieval creeds, or members of some Anabaptist sect that denies the legitimacy of creeds altogether. But most Christians assume that creedal improvement affects only the institutional church, not society at large. Creedal progress is not even seen as an aspect of social progress, let alone a contributing cause. This presumes a fundamental relationship in history, the social irrelevance of the historic Christian creeds. It presumes that there is no continuity between the Church's creeds and civilization. Yet it is this which must be proven first, not presumed. It is Christian Reconstruction's contention that there can be no civilization without a creed. Creeds are therefore inescapable concepts. It is never a question of creed versus no creed. It is always this question. Which creed? Creeds have consequences. Christian creeds include certain presuppositions about law, judicial cause and effect, and time. These views may be more implicit than explicit, but they exist. Conclusion The idea of eschatology is fundamental to Christianity and therefore to Western history. So is millennialism. Modern secular historians understand this far better than Christians do. But eschatology, in the broadest sense, is not a significant differentiating doctrine within Christianity. It is the far narrower idea of millennialism that is differentiating, in fact, highly divisive. In most eras in Western history, millennialism has not been emphasized. This was especially true in the early medieval era, A.D. 500 to 1000. But emphasized or not, a particular view of the millennium will become dominant within any particular Christian denomination or culture. In principle, there cannot be eschatological neutrality, meaning millennial neutrality, any more than there can be neutrality in any other area of life. There can be personal indifference or ignorance, but there cannot be neutrality. Everything is under the decree of God, and God is not neutral. When we identify an inescapable concept, any assertion of neutrality is deceptive, either deliberate deception or self-deception. Millennialism is an inescapable concept. It therefore has consequences. These consequences include the formation of attitudes toward the development of social theory. The main dividing issues are these. Historical continuity versus discontinuity. The role of biblical law in extending God's earthly kingdom. The role of God's sanctions in history. The role of the Holy Spirit in history. And the limits of the Great Commission. Secondarily, Secondarily, there is the issue of time remaining before Jesus returns bodily to earth. While neither premillennialism nor amillennialism teaches a specific timetable regarding the return of Christ to earth, their adherents generally believe that time remaining is very short. Their cultural battle cry is this, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. The postmillennialist cry is this, Come quickly, but only after your church has achieved its role in fulfilling the Great Commission. The differences between the two battle cries are enormous. The first is either a call to retreat from most of the battlefields of life, or else a call to launch a kamikaze-type attack 
against the prevailing humanist cultural culture. culture. The second is a call to historical victory. The first tends to dissuade its adherents from producing detailed social theories. The second may or not, may or may not, depending on the adherents' view of law and historical sanctions. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.